0: Good morning, Clerks. Welcome back to another episode of The Clerk Commute.
1: Hello, and welcome back to The Clerk Commute. My name is Brendan, and with me today is my co-host, Lauren. Today, we will be going through an approach to an important concept in internal medicine, anemia. Today's episode was edited by Dr. Sumeta Arya, who is a hematology and oncology fellow in Toronto.
0: Yes, this is a really important and common topic, and our goal here is to give you an approach with key information that you will need on the wards. Specifically, we'll be going over the clinical presentation, diagnosis, and treatments of the various types of anemia.
1: All right, let's start with some definitions. Anemia is defined by a decrease in the absolute number of red blood cells. There are three ways to detect a decrease in the number of red blood cells. These are by looking at the hematocrit, the red blood cell count, or a hemoglobin concentration. Most commonly, we use hemoglobin concentration. In our non-pregnant females, our normal range of hemoglobin is 120 to 160 grams per liter. And in males, our normal range is 130 to 180 grams per liter. However, it is important to check your individual's lab's reference values when assessing this.
0: Um, Okay, so just to clarify, We define anemia as a hemoglobin of less than 120 in females and 130 in males. Is there anything else that we should know before we start talking about the clinical presentation?
1: Yes, Lauren. It actually might be useful to further define some other important lab parameters that come up on our CBC or our complete blood count. This will help interpret blood work and understand some of the diagnoses that we will be discussing later in this episode of the podcast. Okay, let's start with the red cell distribution width, or the RDW. An RDW is a measure of the range of variability in the size of red blood cells. If all of our red blood cells are similar in size, then we have a normal RDW. This is between 11 to 15%. If some red blood cells are big and small, that means that there is a wide variability in our RDW and the range will be high. We may see values is between 18 to 20% in this case, which is called anisocytosis or a lack of the same size. Another parameter that we should be familiar with is our reticulocyte count. Reticulocytes are our immature red blood cells, and they are large. In the context of anemia, we can see the reticulocyte count to tell us more about what the cause of the overall low red blood cell count is. What we mean by this is that The reticulocyte count goes up when there is increased erythropoiesis, such as in a response to increased red blood cell destruction. This can be due to bleeding, hemolysis, exogenous erythropoietin administration, or iron or vitamin B12 uh, repletion. Reticulocyte counts can go down when there is a decrease in erythropoiesis due to a production problem, such as bone marrow failure or lack of substrate, such as iron, and a low erythropoietin.
0: Okay, so to clarify and summarize, a normal RDW is between 11 and 15, and this means that the red blood cells are similar in size. An increased RDW means that the cells are of different sizes. On the other hand, a high reticulocyte count means that there is a high erythropoiesis, meaning that the cause of anemia is due to a destruction problem, versus a low reticulocyte count means that there is a lack of erythropoiesis due to a production problem as the cause of the anemia. How about now we go through the clinical presentation of anemia?
1: It's a great idea. So first, it's important to note that anemia can present asymptomatically. A patient may not report any changes on history and there may be no abnormal physical exam findings. In this case, anemia may be picked up on routine blood work or when looking for another underlying condition. However, there are characteristic changes that we may see in a patient with anemia. The key signs and symptoms include pallor and fatigue. Pallor can be seen by examining a patient's lower eyelid to look for a pale conjunctiva. As the anemia progresses, the patient may also report ongoing headaches, lightheadedness, dizziness, a decreased exercise tolerance and shortness of breath. In a patient with underlying coronary artery disease, you may see a worsening of their angina or new onset angina as the myocardium may not be receiving adequate oxygen supply. Other signs of anemia include the consequences of a hyperdynamic state. If the body isn't receiving enough oxygen, cardiac output will increase to match the metabolic demands of the body. You may observe bounding pulses, tachycardia, palpitations, or a flow murmur. If you find any of these signs on physical exam, remember to include anemia in your differential.
0: All right, so to summarize, anemia can either present asymptomatically or with symptoms such as fatigue pallor, exertional, dys- exertional dyspnea, and consequences of a hyperdynamic state. As anemia progresses, however, patients may experience nonspecific symptoms such as headaches, lightheadedness, and syncope. Severe anemia may result in a high output state.
1: That's right, Lauren. All right, next we will talk about how to classify the different types of anemia.
0: Right, and this is probably the most important part of the workup of anemia and it also contributes to how we make the diagnosis of what's going on. We like to divide anemia into microcytic, normocytic, and macrocytic anemia. Another approach to look at is whether the reticulocytes are high or low, as mentioned previously. Today, we will look at the MCV approach for now, which is the microcytic, normocytic, and macrocytic approach. Before we even get into the MCV, it is crucial that we first check our other cell lines. Remember, whenever we see a CBC and the hemoglobin is anemic, i.e. less than 120 for females or 130 for males, it is important to cast a broad differential. So at this point, we can't just think of anemia. We also have to look at what is our white blood cell count, what is our differential, and what are the platelets. Unless you have looked at hemoglobin, white blood cell count, and platelets, you have not fully reviewed the CBC. If all indices are low, this is what we call a pancytopenia. With this, we think of a more systemic bone marrow problem, and the differential for this includes bone marrow infiltration with cancers or fibrosis, or bone marrow destruction from infections, autoimmune conditions, or drugs. It is also helpful sometimes to look at the blood film for qualitative data in addition to the quantitative data as seen on the CBC. This tells us information about the size, shapes of the cells, and can can provide a lot of information to understand what the bone marrow is doing or other pathology that is happening.
1: Exactly. So I guess the key message here is check all of your cell lines, not just hemoglobin when interpreting a CBC. And if your hemoglobin, white blood cells, and platelets are all lower than normal, think of a bone marrow cause.
0: Yes, exactly. So... Let's say, for example, that we look at the CBC and there's just a low hemoglobin. The white count and the platelets are okay. Now we're under our differential for an isolated anemia. The next thing to do is look at the MCV, which stands for the mean corpuscular volume. If the MCV is less than 80, this represents microcytic anemia. If the MCV is 80 to 100, this is normocytic anemia. And if the MCV is greater than 100, this is macrocytic anemia. Let's start, for example, first with the differential diagnosis for microacidic anemia. The most classic mnemonic for understanding the differential to this is TAILS, T-A-I-L-S. The T stands for thalassemia. The A stands for anemia of chronic disease. The I stands for iron deficiency anemia. The L stands for lead poisoning. And the S stands for sideroblastic anemia. Our most important investigation when we have a microacidic anemia is ferritin. Therefore, when you are faced with a microcytic anemia, you should immediately think, order a ferritin. If your ferritin is low, specifically less than 30 in the absence of inflammation, we have our diagnosis already. There is at least iron deficiency happening. This is a key key point. Low ferritin is diagnostic of iron deficiency. If you start with a ferritin and the ferritin is low, there's no further testing that is needed, needed. Because iron deficiency anemia is one of the most common causes of anemia, let's spend some time talking about it. Here are some four classic points about iron deficiency anemia. One, iron deficiency anemia is the most common cause of anemia and iron deficiency is the most common and widespread nutritional disorder in the whole world. Iron deficiency is common when the demand for iron is high. This often occurs in growing children and in pregnancy. When faced with anemia in these populations, think iron deficiency anemia. The most common cause, sorry, point three. The most common cause of iron deficiency anemia in adults is blood loss. It is always important to look for signs and symptoms of GI or GU bleeding in a patient, an adult patient with microcytic anemia. In patients greater than 50, colon cancer should always be ruled out. Point four, always treat a low ferritin. Even if the patient is not anemic, a low ferritin should always be treated, especially in pregnancy.
1: Great, Lauren. And are there any other populations that are at risk for iron deficiency anemia?
0: Yes, we want to pay special attention to those with inflammatory bowel disease, celiac disease, H. pylori infection, gastritis, and those who have undergone recent bariatric surgery. All of these conditions decrease iron absorption in the GI tract and can lead to iron deficiency anemia. We want to also keep in mind populations who are undernourished or on a strict vegan diet as they have decreased iron intake. Finally, it cannot be emphasized enough. Iron deficiency anemia may be the first sign of iron loss through bleeding. This is a common question that gets asked in the wards, so definitely think to look for bleeding if the iron is low in a patient.
1: And how do we treat iron deficiency anemia?
0: We can treat with oral iron with food and encourage vitamin C supplementation in order to increase absorption of the iron. Three to six months of treatment are required for the repletion of iron stores and the normalization of serum ferritin levels. If someone cannot consume the recommended intake with food, we start off treatment with oral supplementation. The daily recommended dose of adults with with iron deficiency is 100 to 200 milligrams of elemental iron. It is good to know that iron supplements often lead to dark stools, which can mimic melina. This is a great question to ask on history if someone presents with dark stools to your ED, family medicine clinic, or on your internal medicine floors. If oral supplementation is not sufficient, we can move to IV iron.
1: Okay, let's now discuss one more cause of microcytic anemia. Anemia of chronic disease or anemia of chronic inflammation. They're sometimes called by either name. This is our second most common cause of anemia. This occurs in the setting of other conditions, such as infection, inflammatory diseases, or malignancy. Our bodies are locking iron away from bacterial pathogens, which actually depend on iron to live and multiply. Therefore, the key defining feature of anemia of inflammation is low serum iron, but high level of ferritin due to high iron stores. The diagnosis of anemia of inflammation can be difficult to remember, but understanding the key principles of why it occurs will make interpreting the lab values easier. Anemia of inflammation in the early phase is normocytic and in the late phase is microcytic. When we are faced with a microcytic anemia, we should order a ferritin. Here, we see an elevated serum ferritin level. Ferritin is called a positive acute phase reactant, Our bodies will increase ferritins in times of inflammation. And this is our first clue that this is an anemia of inflammation.
0: And how do we approach the RDW in both iron deficiency anemia and anemia of chronic disease?
1: Ah, yes, good question, Lauren. The RDW is a very useful tool in interpreting our CBC. An abnormal RDW can start to paint a picture of iron deficiency anemia before we even start ordering tests. In iron deficiency anemia, some cells get enough iron and some don't. Therefore, we get cells of various sizes, some normal and some small. And so you'll see a high RDW. Thus, RDW is another way of differentiating between iron deficiency anemia and anemia of chronic disease. A high RDW typically points you more towards iron deficiency. I like to remember the lack of iron results in an isocytosis an anemia of chronic disease the red cells are more uniform in size and therefore we see a normal rdw
0: okay and then what about the reticulocyte in anemia of chronic disease
1: well iron is needed to make red blood cells the bone marrow is having a tough time producing red blood cells and this will be reflected by a low reticular site count and similarly an iron deficiency anemia. Iron still cannot make it to the marrow. And as a result, you get a low reticulocyte count, just like in the anemia of chronic diseases. Therefore, both iron deficiency anemia and anemia of chronic disease will have a low reticulocyte count. In fact, most of our microcytic anemias will have low reticulocytes except for thalassemia.
0: Okay, and then what are the common conditions that lead to anemia of chronic inflammation?
1: Oh, good question. This differential is actually very broad and can include chronic inflammatory conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, inflammatory bowel disease, or even more subacute issues, such as those who are hospitalized in the ICU with an infection or sepsis.
0: Okay, and then how do we treat this anemia?
1: So the overall goal of treating anemia of inflammation is to treat the underlying cause of the inflammation. Often, treating the etiology will help the anemia. When the underlying cause cannot be treated, we may start thinking about administering exogenous erythropoietin or EPO.
0: Okay, so I think we've thoroughly covered both anemia of chronic disease and iron deficiency anemia. Quickly, are there any other microcytic anemias that we should discuss?
1: Yes, I think it would be important to mention thalassemia. Now, this may be less common on an internal medicine inpatient unit, but it is good to keep it in the back of your mind. In thalassemia, we see a very low MCV in the uh, the 60s. When we see an MCV this low, we should be thinking of thalassemia. Also, thalassemia is the only microcytic anemia with a high reticulocyte count. All of our other microcytic anemias have low reticulocyte counts, as the bone marrow is starving for substrate. Here, the bone marrow has enough substrate, but is producing faulty hemoglobin. It senses the anemia and keeps trying to make more red blood cells, which is why we get a high reticulocyte count.
0: Okay, so thalassemia can be noted by a very low MCV, and it is the only microcytic anemia with high reticulocytes.
1: Exactly. It also helps to understand where the patient is from, as Mediterranean, Southeast Asian, Middle Eastern, and African patients tend to present more frequently with thalassemia.
0: Okay. So I think we've talked about the two most common causes of anemia, of microcytic anemia, and they are iron deficiency anemia and anemia of chronic disease. Why don't we move on to macrocytic anemia? Brendan, would you like to take us through an approach to macrocytic anemia?
1: Certainly. All right, so let's review. Macrocytic anemia is a low hemoglobin with an MCV greater than 100. Here, our red blood cells are large. So first, it's always important to understand why that is. One reason can be impaired DNA synthesis. In order for red blood cells to form, they must undergo many cell divisions which require DNA synthesis. After each division, the red blood cell becomes smaller. If DNA synthesis is impaired, it will result in slowly dividing cells that are larger than normal. Sometimes DNA synthesis is intact, but there can be membrane abnormalities in the cell, which will also result in macrocytosis or an elevated MCV. Therefore, our approach to macrocytic anemia is going to be different from microcytic anemia. Often, we evaluate the presence of megaloblastic anemia. This is characterized by hypersegmented neutrophils and red blood cell changes. When there are neutrophils with greater than five nuclear segments on our blood smear, this is called megaloblastic anemia. Megaloblastic anemia is our most common subtype of macrocytic anemia, and it is due to a deficiency in DNA synthesis. Megaloblastic anemia is more common is the more common of the two macrocytic anemias, and some of the causes include a vitamin B12 deficiency or folate deficiency, both of which are essential components of DNA synthesis. Some medications can also produce megaloblastic anemia, such as chemotherapeutics or methotrexate all of which interfere with DNA synthesis. Our differential for non-megaloblastic anemia includes liver disease, alcohol use, myelodysplastic syndrome, and hypothyroidism. In these diseases, there is normal DNA synthesis, and it is thought that our red blood cells are large due to lipid membrane abnormalities. We can use an ABCDEF acronym when faced with macrocytic anemia to remember the differential. A for alcoholism and liver disease, B for vitamin B12 deficiency, C for compensatory reticulocytosis, D for dysplasia or myelodysplastic syndrome, and drugs like methotrexate and chemotherapeutic agents, and E for endocrine, likely hypothyroidism, and F for folate deficiency. The next step would be to investigate these possibilities by sending off the partner's investigations such as a TSH, a vitamin B12 level, liver enzymes, and taking a thorough history including one that focuses on an alcohol history. Another hint on the CBC may be low platelets as this often happens as well in alcoholism. Vitamin B12 deficiency is rare however. It can occur due to inadequate intake, such as in strict vegans or those who are severely malnourished, or in those with compromised gut absorption. Examples include pernicious anemia, gastric bypass, and Crohn's or celiac disease. Symptoms of severe vitamin B12 deficiency include irreversible irreversible neurological symptoms due to demyelination of the spinal cord. This can easily be treated with oral vitamin B12 or IM vitamin B12 if the situation warrants it. Folate deficiency is also uncommon due to the dietary supplementation of folate, but can occur in the tea and toast diet or alcoholism, substance use, anti-folate drugs like methotrexate, pregnancy, where this is a high folate demand, and sometimes inflammatory diseases of the GI tract, such as IBD, celiac, or short bowel syndrome. It is helpful to remember that folate is absorbed in the duodenum, while vitamin B12 is absorbed in the terminal ileum. It is treated with oral folate supplementation.
0: Okay, so then why and I take us through an approach to normocytic anemia? One reason that someone may get a normal MCV on our CBC is that we have a microcytic and macrocytic process going on at the same time, and the MCV is therefore averaged overall. A, A good example of this is someone who has celiac disease. They have the potential for malabsorption of both folate and iron. Foley deficiency, as we mentioned, will cause the macrocytosis, and iron deficiency causes a microcytosis, and the MCV may turn out to be normal in that case. But the RDW in in such a patient would be quite wide. Another cause of normocytic anemia is an early phase of anemia of chronic disease and or iron deficiency anemia. Both can start off as normocytic anemia. Otherwise, there are many causes of a normocytic anemia, but we can focus on the four most common causes. The way we are going to approach normocytic anemia is with our reticulocyte count. Remember, the microcytic anemia, we order a ferritin. For macrocytic anemia, we order a blood smear, and for normocytic anemia, we look at our reticulocyte count. This is going to help narrow our differential. If the reticulocytes are low, we are thinking of a production problem. Here we have chronic kidney disease, which is our most common causes, cause characterized by a low EPO. If the retics are high or normal, we can think of a destruction problem, either due to hemolysis or hemorrhage.
1: Okay, so you're saying that low reticulocyte counts is usually chronic kidney disease, and a normal or high reticulocyte count is usually hemolysis or hemorrhage. Perhaps we should list a couple of features of each of these.
0: For sure. Let's start with chronic kidney disease. As kidney disease progresses, the kidneys will atrophy, decreasing their ability to produce EPO, which results in less red blood cell production. In these patients, we will see a high creatinine or they'll have a history of known kidney disease. Although we would expect a patient with chronic kidney disease to have a low EPO, the assay is rarely ordered in a clinical practice. In normal anemia with a high reticulosote count, we, must, we know that this must be due to either hemolysis or hemorrhage. In order to differentiate the two, we must order a hemolytic workup, which includes haptoglobin, LDH, and bilirubin. If these are normal, then the anemia is due to hemorrhage or blood loss. Your body is losing blood, but the red blood cells themselves can remain intact and they're not getting destroyed. Here we want to ensure a thorough history for blood loss, both internally and externally. On the other hand, in hemolytic anemia, we see positive hemolytic markers, which consist of low haptoglobin, high LDH, and high unconjugated bilirubin. This means that the red blood cells themselves are being broken down by the body. LDH and bilirubin are both high as they are released from the blood blood cells as they're being lysed. Haptoglobin is reduced as it binds to the free hemoglobin that is released when the red blood cells are broken down. There are many reasons why you may have a breakdown of red blood cells in the body. These include sickle cell disease, G6PD deficiency, hereditary spherocytosis, autoimmune hemolytic anemia, hypersplenism, liver disease, infections, and microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, or MAHA, or paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria.
1: Wow, we've discussed our major anemias. How about I sum everything up for us? Go for it. All right, so at the beginning, we talked about our microcytic anemia. Our test to order here is ferritin. If the ferritin is low, we have our diagnosis, iron deficiency anemia. If ferritin is high, this can still be iron deficiency anemia, as a high ferritin does not rule out iron deficiency. Look for other things such as high TIBC and high RDW to confirm iron deficiency. Remember, in iron deficiency, we lose isocytosis. Our other microcytic anemia is the anemia of chronic disease. This is characterized by a high ferritin and a low TIBC. Here, we will have a normal RDW. Finally, there is also thalassemia, which has an extremely low MCV and is the only microcytic anemia with a low reticulocyte count.
0: Great. Next, we discussed macrocytic anemias. Our blood test here is the blood smear. We we look for hypersegmented neutrophils, which tell us whether this is a megaloblastic anemia or not. If it is, This is a DNA problem, so we think of things that affect DNA synthesis, like folate B12 and drugs. If it is non-megaloblastic anemia, we should be thinking liver, alcoholism, myelodysplastic syndrome, or reticulocytosis.
1: And finally, there is normocytic anemia. Here, our test of choice is the reticulocyte count. If our reticulocytes are low, this is a production problem, and we think of things like chronic kidney disease. If the reticulocytes are normal or high, we think of a destruction or a loss problem, and we think of hemolysis or blood loss. To differentiate between the two, we need to order our three hemolytic markers, LDH, haptoglobin, and bilirubin. Let's remember that there can be a microcytic and a macrocytic process going on that averages out to a normocytic anemia, and that iron deficiency anemia and anemia of chronic disease can both start off as normocytic. All right, Lauren, I think that wraps things up for today. We've really covered a lot. We'll see our listeners soon. And remember to follow us on Twitter for the latest updates about the clerk commute.
0: Bye.